This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 237, recorded Wednesday, November 4th, 2015. Jason. Uh, yeah? <laughs> Try to pay attention. We're just starting here. What? What? What's going on? <laughs> We're doing a podcast, but I want to ask you a question. Yeah, okay. What's your question? Do you think I have poop in my beard? Yes. Yes, I do. Really? <laughs> yeah, you got a big bushy beard. And uh, you got two kids. There's probably poop all over it. There's <laughs> probably poop all over my house, frankly. Exactly. So what makes you think that there's not poop in your beard? Well, I'm kind of hoping there's not, but you sent me that video earlier today of, uh, what's his name, Will Forte on Jimmy Fallon? Yeah. Getting his beard tested for feces. And uh, I'm not going to... Sp- well, I'm not going to spoil the ending of that, but it started made me start wondering if, if I should, you know get tested <laughs> <laughs> well not not just get tested but you wash like you like shampoo your beard and stuff yeah such? yeah I, i'm a very clean person actually all right so you like get the shampoo out and you uh-huh. lather up and you get the beard going and that takes like 78 percent of your shower time yeah right? so like three four hours yeah yeah that, that must be nice <laughs> yeah run really. out of hot water after a while or do you have one of those infinite hot water tanks infinite hot water baby nice yeah uh but i don't abuse that because that would be not environmental and i'm not that kind of guy either you're not that kind of mental um, <laughs> no that's right i'm just <laughs> mental enough to have poop yeah. in my beard oh my god i'm now i'm gonna be thinking about that all all day <laughs> yeah go kiss your wife later and then tell her that you think you have poop in your beard <laughs> <laughs> and then I will sleep in the backyard. Yes. With the rest of the animals. And definitely get poop in your beard. Oh, definitely, yeah. Anyways, let's stop talking about poop and start talking about The Walking Dead. Okay. So it's time to do our feedback show because it's Wednesday night. We are going to read all the feedback from the most recent episode called Here's Not Here, which was 90 Minutes of Morgan. It should have been called 90 Minutes of Morgan. Other well, words, Eastman. No. 90 Minutes with Morgan. That's more like an album title. It is. Right? 90 Minutes with Morgan, or Morgan, spelled big M, little organ. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why not? All right. Uh, All the poop has got me all confused. Uh, So it's listener feedback. Let's get started. Do it. Listener feedback. All right, our first email here comes from Brian in Texas, and Brian says, A better name for this episode would have been, So, what have you been doing? Or, How I Stopped Worrying and Learned to Love the Apocalypse. This was the bottle episode that's a palate cleanser. Uh, I agree with the fans that this wasn't my favorite, but it did clarify many of the open questions we had with Morgan. The rabbit's foot was a nice touch. This season, Morgan's character was beginning to wear on me. In the face of naked force and extreme danger, he wants to play Buddha and save the very people who were ransacking Alexandria as if they were Visigoths after the fall of Rome. Immediately, I said to my wife, I'm tired of this guy's morality. Uh, But this episode was necessary for me to accept Morgan's newfound respect for all life without hating the character altogether. Did it have to be 90 minutes? No. Was this a best-in-class episode? No, but I think the showrunners know that they should never make another Beth in the Hospital episode ever again. 
Right. <laughs> uh, first of all, I didn't hate the Grady Memorial Hospital stuff that much. In fact, I, I can't say I hated it at all. Maybe it was a little weak, but it was uh, some of it was okay. Um, but in terms of this episode, uh, yeah, I mean, didn't really need to be 90 minutes. We learned a lot about Morgan, but had its had its problems, I think. Right. So on a scale from poop on the ground to poop in your mouth, it kind of <laughs> fell somewhere in the poop in your beard kind of area. Uh, maybe on my chest. <laughs> okay. Poop on your chest. Yeah. All right. Right. And there was a- This is yeah. the scale we're using, really? <laughs> For today. Okay. Yeah, and there was a historical reference in there, uh, uh, the Visigoths after the after the fall of Rome. Of Rome, I have no idea what that means. Did I say that right? Yeah. I, I'm not Visigoths. Familiar. That sounds familiar to me, but uh, I don't know what they were doing around Rome after it fell. Could be. I mean, it could be goth people who use their Visa card a lot. I mean, oh yeah, Visa goths. Yeah, that's right. No, sorry, you did read that wrong. It's not Visa goths. It's Visa. Goths. Okay, well, right. Okay. I'll make sure to get that right next time. Thank you, Brian, for <laughs> sending in your email. Right. All right, so now we have Donna, originally from Wodonga, Australia, but after a walkabout, is now residing in San Francisco. That's a hell quite, of a walkabout. That's quite the walk. Yeah. Uh, uh, this would, would have been a fabulous bonus episode to watch during the season where they were on the farm or where they were stuck in the prison with Farmer Rick, but no, they had to put this fine episode in the middle of the biggest what-the-fuck season ever. I'm going to concentrate on next Sunday's episode. I agree with Chris, Chris yelling, uh, sorry, I agree with Chris, Rick yelling at the end of the episode was the highlight. How sad is that? Yeah, and it's it's only because we're so uh, anxious. Everyone's so anxious to find out what's going on in the main storyline. Our, our characters are in peril, and they're holding it back. Like they're holding it back, which can be effective, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also annoying <laughs> to, to a certain degree. And well, it would be, yeah. And here, it's I found it kind of annoying, and I'm looking forward to this week's episode. Hopefully, they go right back to the main storyline. Um, but we'll we'll find out. Right. Uh, next up is Steve from Cambridge, Ontario. Uh, thank you, Steve. I was in your I've been in your town all week. I've been working in Cambridge this week, which has been exciting. Beautiful place. But Steve writes, I've read a lot of negative comments on Twitter about this episode. That really bothers me. When I see the teasers that when I saw the teasers that this was going to be a Morgan backstory bottle episode, I was disappointed. Even when I first began watching it, them not telling us what happened to Glenn did get to me. But then I kept watching. The story between these two men was so compelling. Whether I agreed with Eastman's, Eastman's views or not, it was fascinating. The power in which the story was told, from the writers to the incredible acting. By the end, I had almost forgotten that I needed to know Glenn's story. Uh, I was just glad to know Morgan's and Eastman's. I agree that the timing of this episode can be scrutinized, but please, as an audience, don't ignore the story that this episode told. Yeah, I mean, don't ignore it, <laughs> even though it seems so easy to. And I don't, look, I don't want to be too hard on this thing, because I think I said on Monday that there was a lot to like about this episode, and there was nothing on its face wrong with it, um, majorly anyways. Right. Um, but uh, it's a hard one to love for some reason. All right. Next, we have an email from Jason in Baltimore. I disagree that episode four was misplaced. 
There are two story arcs going on right now, the group of people attempting to lead the walker herd away and the group of people defending Alexandria. I believe that next week the two groups will come back together, at which point some people will go looking for Glenn, and most will stay back to defend Alexandria from the oncoming herd and the possibility of being attacked again by the wolves. It would have been a more it would have been more disjointed to bring the group together and then go off all the way back to Morgan's backstory. See, I disagree with that. I think they needed to get to a little bit more of a resolution point in the main story and then go to Morgan. I'm not saying wrap it all up in a nice bow, do Morgan and then start something new. Um, but there's ebbs and flows to a season, right? And it's kind of it goes up and down and it uh it it transitions from storyline to storyline and there was no transition point here i don't think it was right, right in the middle of something they were trying to do they cut away for um you know to tell the story of an interesting character but that has really his backstory not a lot to do with what's going on now um i mean i guess it does in the way he didn't want to kill anyone and we needed to find that out or find out why, but we didn't need to find out why this very second. That's that's all my problem. Yeah. So I read recently that uh, when you are storytelling with multiple uh, plots and storylines, you bring one storyline to a crescendo, and then you cut away to another storyline, and you bring that to a crescendo, and then you cut back to the original one and tell that story until it comes back to a crescendo. So uh, it's when it's uh, almost at the top when you cut away to something else. So I think that's what they're trying to achieve here is they've got these kind of two areas going on. Uh, you know, you have the uh, the fight at Alexandria, you have the, the zombie herd, and uh, Glenn, you know, as we get to that crescendo, we cut away to something, and now for something completely different. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. But, th- but that's not what they've done. Like, if you have one story that gets to a crescendo, you go to another story, bring it to its crescendo go back to the original story, not right. a third story. They've got kind of, well, even though this was just a one-off episode, they cut to something totally different. If if you think of the Glenn stuff and the Rick stuff as two different stories, I mean, it's not really two stories, but it's definitely two different cliffhangers. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, that, if you think of that as one story, then sure, they could do that, but... They're not cutting to another story that they can bring to a crescendo. They cut to another story that they start, have a middle for, bring to a climax, and then end. So, you know, I don't know if your logic applies entirely to what they've done here. That's not my logic. I'm just, you know, interpreting some crap I read on the internet. Okay, well, I don't know if the internet crap applies to this uh, this situation. Sorry, my interpretation of the internet crap. Ah, okay. Yeah. Next email is from Tom in a city approximately 725 miles from Alexandria, according to Google Maps. And if you're going to believe anybody, it should be Google Maps. Well, now i got to find out how far away I am from Alexandria. Okay, you can do that if you want. I'll do that. I'll read you go Tom's ahead and email. Read, yeah. On Monday, you guys talked a lot about how Here's Not Here felt out of place, long, drawn out, and particularly devoid of any attention to Glenn's predicament. I keep thinking that this could perhaps be the perfect timing for an episode that centers on redirection. Further, I think there's something to be said about how they've placed slash arranged this season. Four episodes in, and we've traversed less than a day in the current world. We've jumped from group to group trying to solve their own little problem. I feel like the writers are attempting to make us feel just as overwhelmed as the characters do, 
and how thinly spread our attention has to be to each issue they've presented. Which kind of, this, this email from Tom makes sense to me. You know, they're, yep. they're blasting us with all this stuff and we're not able to spend the amount of time I would prefer <laughs> on each one. And that's right. kind of what the characters are experiencing. They had a plan, they had to execute it early, they didn't get to practice it with the zombie parade, I mean. And, um, you know, then they were trying to get back to Alexandria. Alexandria was attacked, totally uh, unprepared for it. So, you know... As viewers, we're kind of experiencing the same thing the characters are, but Tom's original point of this being a uh, perfect place in the season for an episode about redirection, right? that's a good point too. I it think. is a very good point. I really like that. Uh, I like that point, and it's a solid argument. Take us away from what we're paying attention to to show us uh, something else, basically, and, and right. uh, it makes, that, that does kind of make a lot of sense. And they're trying not to hurt us too, as the uh, as the attacker. We're uh, or you know, just respect your attacker and don't hurt them. Yeah, don't so hurt. They're them. trying not to hurt us. They're trying to give us a a little break from the action. That's right. Because you know, if if you don't get a break, you're gonna break down. Yeah, if you don't get a break, you're gonna break. <laughs> That's right. All right. And uh, I'm approximately 510 miles from Alexandria. I'm actually closer. So I'm roughly the same because we don't live that far apart. Yeah. Uh, Eight hour drive. Look at that, yeah. That's well, not bad. We could we could go there tomorrow if you wanted. Uh, What have I got to do tomorrow? I got some stuff I got to do. It's Thursday. Yeah, okay, let's go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> we'll see you in Alexandria tomorrow, everybody. Yeah, all right. We have an email from Ian in Leicester, England. Leicester, it's spelled Lee Kester, but it's Leicester like Jester, apparently. Yeah, that's what Ian Ian said, so I believe him. I believe him as well. And Ian writes, I understand why some fans were disappointed with season six, episode four, Here Not Here, but my wife and I quite enjoyed it. All of your correspondence, and you too, seem to have missed the climax of the episode, uh, that Morgan is keeping a crazed man in his basement without any of the rest of the group being aware of it. I'll wager that this plays out in a bad way in the not-too-distant future, and he will thus put Here Not Here into context. Yeah, I, I don't know if we missed the fact that he's keeping him in there, but we didn't really say that this is a bad idea because um, either one of two things is going to happen here. Uh, the guy's going to get out and he's going to yep. kill somebody or multiple people or Morgan, I think, is going to kill him for right. for some reason. Morgan's going to break his own rule and kill the alpha wolf. Uh, if I had to guess... I would think the guy's going to get out and cause some havoc. I think you're uh, you're failing to realize that there might be a spontaneous human combustion involved here as well. He might just burst into flames. <laughs> well, I suppose that is an option, but I'm going with the first two. Okay. <laughs> they're not just I'm just saying that they're not the only two options. No, that's true, but I think one of those two is going to happen and I think he's going to get out, he's going to kill somebody. And Morgan's going to realize, man, oh man, I need to reevaluate my priorities a little bit because that guy just killed Carol. Oh my God. Don't do that. No, we don't want to do that, <laughs> you know. But uh, I agree with you. He's going to get out and then Morgan's, Morgan's going to have to kill him. Un unless, Yeah, he's going to get out and Morgan's going to have to kill him. Exactly. Unless that's just too simple. Like that's what everyone expects to happen. Um, so maybe it's going to be more grand than that. He's, there's going to be some big, something big that goes down because this guy's right. stuck in there. You know, remember, know. nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. 
Maybe he's going to get out and start the Spanish Inquisition. Well, I think they're going to show up and, you know, do their thing. <laughs> and do their thing, right. Monty Python tonight uh, on this episode. All right. All Monty Python. Maybe we should do a podcast on uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That'd be cool. We'd yeah. get sued. No, we wouldn't. Uh, we'd get angry emails because of what I'd say about it, but that's a whole <laughs> other, that's a whole other right. topic. Let's move on to Kevin in Chicago. Just a thought here. I've got a feeling this show is setting up Morgan to be the new main character, and Rick's days on the show are numbered. I think they've stretched his character and his story arc as far as they can, and lately it seems he's at a point of no return. I can't see him having yet another moment of enlightenment. Can you? Uh, and he means Rick, of course. They've yeah. stretched Rick to the end here. Hmm. What do you think? Have they have they done this? Like Rick seems to be in the same character cycle for a long time now. Going a little bit crazy, coming back to sanity. Going crazy again, coming back to sanity. Dealing with a bad guy by going crazy, coming back to sanity. Like that seems to be well, Rick's thing. I think what we need uh, it's either Rick is going to die or we're going to have uh, Rick with a love interest. He he needs a love interest. Well, what's that going to do for him, though? Like, that's just going to calm him down and take him out no, of the spotlight for a while? No, I mean, it's going to be a story. It's going to be a story arc for a long time. How oh. do you deal with the fact that his wife died, but he's met somebody new, and he's got his son uh, to deal with who lost his mother? And then there's the whole, what if uh, what if uh, Carl is Shane's? That kind of thing. <laughs> right. I don't know if we're going back to that fertile ground of storytelling there, but... Um, I think that could be a good thought, like introduce a love interest. And they sort of have, like Jesse is is hanging around there yeah. in the background, right? See, and that's got all kinds of conflict in there, right? If they, if they're, uh, a, if they get a love interest storyline going on there, we've got her kids to deal with because Rick killed her husband, which yes. she's okay with. Right. And then we've got uh, Carl. That's, that's a whole thing. So uh, I think... Uh, you know, you might be right, Kevin, that uh, Rick is on his last legs and they might kill him off because Andrew Lincoln might go off to do bigger and better things. You know, he might have movie deals that he's got he's to gotta go do and he, he doesn't want to be saddled with this uh, awesome television show that uh, has really pushed him into the limelight. You know, he just wants to move on with his career. and But maybe they just, you know, turn things on its head and uh, start a whole new plot line with him. Well, I mean, you, you sound a little sarcastic when you say that but it's not outside the realm of possibility for andrew lincoln to after seven eight nine years want to go do something else people leave tv shows all the time and yeah you know this may be something the audience has to start preparing it for because not all of these characters are necessarily going to stay around forever especially if this show ends up going 10 11 12 15 years like Kind of, yeah. you almost can see that happening because of how popular it is, right? There's no Yeah, it chance. happened with Shelley Long on Cheers. She left midway through a very popular television show to make a, a movie career that went promptly nowhere. And uh, what's his name? Ron Howard did the same thing. He left uh, Happy Days, but he went to, he wanted to be a director. So he left uh, Happy Days to go be a director. Yeah. You know, it happens all the time. It does happen all the time. And usually they kill characters or they move away or something like that. In this show- or they join the army. Yeah, in this show, I'm pretty sure the only way to get off of it is being dead. <laughs> but right. uh, well, yeah, it's a, that's the easy way out, right? Right, because that's what you expect. And if it's a main character, it's gonna you're gonna get like awesome ratings because you killed off like the primary character. Yeah, yeah. So, it's I part of me can't believe it would ever happen, but at the same time, you know, I, it's 
it's inevitable eventually for for the, one of these characters, you know. The only thing they're not going to do is change actors. Like if uh, Andrew Lincoln wants to leave, they bring in somebody else and everybody just pretends he's Rick. Oof. Can you imagine? That, that would be <laughs> the worst thing ever. Like they, really would. They couldn't. There's no way they could make that work. Oh, the only way they could get it to work is if Steve Buscemi came and started playing Rick. That would be. I would accept that swap. Because Buscemi can do anything. Because I like Steve Buscemi, and I, I don't know if he can do anything. But uh, if they were that brazen to bring in Steve Buscemi to play Rick. <laughs> I'd be all in. You'd have I'm, to accept I'm it. I'm all in right now. I accept it. <laughs> well, I'm not so sure I'm there with you, but I don't think they can change actors. Game of Thrones has managed to do that with a few... The Mountain? S- ...slightly secondary characters, and a couple yeah. others, too, they've recast. Well, the Mountain's got to... He's got to be the same guy from now on, because he's that super awesome, wicked strong dude that uh, that plays him. Yes. He's like the strongest man on the planet kind of thing. Yep. Uh, so they're not going to swap him out after that, but they've like he's like the third actor to play the mountain. Yeah, but there's others too on there. I, I don't yeah. remember their names because I have a hard time remembering anyone's name on that show sometimes, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, there's the dragon lady, and then uh, yeah, that, that guy... <laughs> with the beard. That guy with the beard, you know? The guy with the beard? Oh, yeah, the big red beard? <laughs> that guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that guy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know... They, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it on Walking Dead. You bring in Steve Buscemi to play Rick, and people are like, "What's this? What's going on? Like this doesn't make any sense." I think it's an awesome idea. All right, frankly, Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire is over, so bring in Steve Buscemi. Of course, he's not probably not doing anything else. I, I don't know. He's probably got something in the works. All right, let's move on. We have Shannon in Louisville. Eastman and his story were fascinating, but it occurred to me that it doesn't have any real. Uh, that he doesn't have any real idea of what kind of world he's living in. He reminds me of a little bit of the Alexandrians. Uh, he did say he traveled for 30 miles back to the cabin, but other than that, which couldn't have taken all that long, he's been relatively sheltered from what the world has become. He obviously gets the occasional walker, but I got got the impression that the, uh, Morgan is the first living person he'd seen. Given that, it's understandable why he would adopt the never kill anything philosophy. Morgan taking it on is much less makes much less sense. The people he's uh, he's sparing are a danger to others. Uh, how is it? How is it not a violation of his code to allow killers to go free to kill others, or does only direct killing count? He's put himself into a no-win situation. The wolf he tied up in Alexandria said he would kill everyone, children too. I wonder if he actually will get loose and take out one of the kids and how and how Morgan, who saw his own son die, will handle that. It will be interesting as, uh, as, we'll, as well to see how the others of Alexandria ha- handle it when they realize that whatever mayhem this guy will inevitably cause... Is because Morgan hid him away instead of killing him. In Morgan's current mental state, he is a huge danger to everyone. Yeah, and and you know we talked about what's this guy going to do when he gets out. But more interesting might be how everyone reacts to it, because right. they're going to find out that he was being held and Morgan was doing the holding, and uh, you know suddenly they've got a guy inside Alexandria, an otherwise peaceful community up until now. Um, and they've let Morgan in who who basically allowed this guy to live and ends up doing something terrible. Um, we have no idea what the alpha wolf is going to do, but it's bound to be something terrible. <laughs> yes. He's basically said that much. So it will well, be what interesting. What if he gets out and kills, uh, kills the son 
the one that Carol is has been torturing off and on for the last little while, and that pisses off Carol so much that he she kills the uh, the alpha wolf, and then uh, Morgan says you shouldn't kill anybody, and then kills Carol. Uh, that's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah I mean bit. Morgan. That's the- too far, I think. Yeah, maybe a little too far. The the thing is, it Morgan's got to learn his his lesson here. He's got to learn that sometimes killing is okay, as we all do in life. As we all do, that's right. So that's that's just the way I I see it. Uh, Michael in London writes, I thought it was a great episode with great backstory until Mr. Aikido got bit in the back by the walker. He was teaching Morgan all these techniques and showed enough times he can overpower people who are a lot more agile and nimble than him. Then he goes and gets bit by the walker who was blatantly in his eyeline. Uh, but like you were uh, saying last week with stealth walkers easily attacking people. He could have easily bashed his head in with his broomstick and carried on his life trying to make goat's cheese. Ruined the story for me a bit. It's kind of derogatory to call it a broomstick, but funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of kind of diminishes the uh, effectiveness or point of the whole thing. But uh, yes, he could have, and I think this is another good point by Michael. Like the zombies right there. And yeah. he recognizes the fact that Morgan has, you know, maybe not frozen up, but is struggling with what to do in this situation. And uh, and so Eastman in, goes to save Morgan, puts himself at risk, and ends up getting bit instead of dealing with the zombie first and then helping Morgan. It's like being on a plane. When the oxygen mask drop down, put your own mask on first before you help another person. Yes. When a zombie's approaching two of you, kill the zombie first before helping your friend. It, it's it's the rule. Is it? Yes. If you have to All push, right. if you have to push your friend out of the way, don't do that. Just kill the zombie, then push your friend down. All right. Yeah, and then and then beat your friend with a stick. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, you know if. if uh, it, Flying airlines has taught us anything. It's uh, put your own damn mask on first. Exactly. That's what I take away from flying every time I do it. All right. Next, we have Anthony in Cornwall, UK. The Eastman character was a good addition, but what a waste to kill him off. Since Morgan came back as a series regular, it has missed the come and go visitor. Uh, A good guy that you look forward to seeing now and then. Eastman could have filled that uh, filled a hole by simply parting with Morgan and maybe appearing later in the season. Like I said, a waste. His death added nothing. By the way, we didn't see Eastman die. Maybe he could he could have hidden under a dumpster. <laughs> maybe you know. Maybe you never know where he could. There's be dumpsters hiding. everywhere. They're they're all over the place. Maybe he could be hiding under one right now. Uh, but yeah, I, I I don't know. Eastman probably. Did did Eastman have to die, Jason? Did he have yeah, to, he die had to, to die to teach to teach Morgan a lesson to solidify his training to, you know, get him from Padawan to Master Jedi or something yeah, like absolutely, that? Absolutely, because that happens in all the Star Wars movies. We had Qui Gon Jinn die uh, in order to get uh, Obi Wan to uh, commit to his training and to to moving on, and we had uh, Obi Wan die to uh, to get Luke to, you know, get off his ass and do some shit. Uh, and you even Yoda died to get yeah, Luke. Yeah, I mean, Yoda died. Sorry for spoiling all the deaths in oh, Star yeah, Wars, it's... everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I I apologize for uh, spoiling Star Wars, the first one from 1977. Uh-huh. 
Uh, but uh, I am not apologizing for uh, spoiling episode one. Qui-Gon dies. They all should die. Jar Jar should die. Jar Jar doesn't die. Spoiler alert. I'm not apologetic. Uh, I, I, I agree. I don't feel too bad for not apologizing for that. I just, I, last week I watched the 90 minute review on Star Wars episode one. Do you have your tickets for The Force Awakens yet? No. What's the matter with you? I have my tickets for tickets for opening day. See, that's just crazy. No, it's not. I'll, I'll see it. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not as, uh. I, I'm not. I guess I, I'm a fanboy, but I think I can bury my head in the sand for a little while to let the uh, let the throng ease off just slightly before no, I go see. You it. are going to be the world, the internet, the news, like the universe is going to be overwhelmed with Star Wars information when this movie comes out, and you are. I can stay off the internet. It's going to be unavoidable. I'll just watch Netflix. That's it. I want, that's, that's my only interaction with the outside world is I'll watch Netflix. How can watching old episodes of House spoil Star Wars I for me? I bet it can somehow. Uh, it's I, 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 You're not going to be spoiled, maybe. Maybe you'll be avo- able to avoid the plot details of the movie, but you won't be able to avoid people's general sentiment and feelings on the movie. And that, for me, is enough to affect my viewing experience. If I know that people love it or they hate it or, or you know, it's good but, like, I don't want to ha- go in with any of that. I want to go in, watch this movie, and hopefully come out thinking it's the greatest thing ever. All right. Well, I'm a grown-ass adult. I can deal with whatever comes along. Well, I'm going to see it at four o'clock on Friday, December eighteenth. Everybody, so all right. Did you buy me a ticket? I bought two. My wife has taken the other one. You sure? <laughs> well, I think we need to have a conversation. All right, I'll, uh, I'll I'll find out if she wants to sell it to you. Not only would your wife kill you, my wife would kill me. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> so, yeah, it's probably not going to work. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Where the hell are we? We are. <laughs> Maria, right, from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I think this one is for me. Maria writes, I think this episode shows us how Morgan will die. Eastman died, sacrificing himself for Morgan to bring him back to the way he was teaching him. While I believe Morgan is way too much of an idealistic pacifist for the world he lives in, I totally believe he will be instrumental in bringing Rick back to an equilibrium of balance between his humanity and his ability to kill when necessary, and that he will end up giving his life in sacrifice for Rick, just as Eastman did for him. Of course, this will happen after he ends up causing all kinds of trouble because of the dumb idea to keep that wolf alive. Right. Yeah, so this is this is good. I mean, whatever happens with the wolf and whatever that um that influence however that influences morgan the whole point maria's making is that ultimately this is all about rick and uh rick's gonna see what happens or you know or morgan's gonna be involved somehow that sort of brings rick the finally brings rick the equilibrium that he needs and that he's been lacking for seven years now Right, so he's going to bring balance to the force. Or six years. It's season six, right? Yeah, six years. Yeah. <laughs> he's right. going to bring balance to Rick's force. Right. And that's when he have his midichlorian count equalized. Oh, God. <sighs> <sighs> Moving All right, on. Next, we, next we have, uh, is it Bernard or Bernard, do you think? I'm going to say Bernard. All right, Bernard, a Canadian in London, UK. How about hey Bernie? Guys. Bernie. Let's Bernie. call him Bernie. All right, Bernie. Bernie writes, uh, hey guys, the cheesemaker does make some cheese, and he's really happy about it. At minute 3810 on the iTunes recording, in the background, Eastman tastes 
his tastes, his latest batch of, uh, and a fist punch in the air in success. <laughs> yeah. And fist punches the air in success. Uh, well, okay. I don't really remember noticing that, but they certainly didn't make a big deal about it. And let's be honest, if this guy identifies as cheesemaker, you'd think they'd make a little bit bigger of a deal when he makes some delicious cheese. Yes. But they did not. So thank you, Bernie, for pointing that out. Uh, Eastman actually was a cheesemaker, I guess. Eventually. Eventually. All right. Bilal in Mississauga, just down the road from Toronto, writes, um, I'm writing in today because of the confusion expressed by you gents regarding Morgan muttering the lines, you were supposed to, you had the knife, you had the gun, you were supposed to, you know you were supposed to. Morgan repeating <laughs> those lines, what? <laughs> That's just funny, hearing all that stuff out of, out of context. Out of context, yeah. Uh, Your delivery was hilarious. Thank you, thank you. Morgan repeating those lines to the outside observer would appear crazy. However, if we examine what we know, Morgan lost his wife season one. Morgan was supposed to kill his wife, then leave the house, but doesn't. Morgan's walker wife kills their son. Morgan develops PTSD. We learn this from Eastman, who diagnosed him. Morgan begins to clear... Then we, the audience, are reintroduced to old Morgan talking to himself, you had the gun, etc. Morgan's PTSD brain is stuck at a specific point in time, a tragic point in time, specifically the death of his son by the mouth of his undead wife, who was supposed to kill, who he was supposed to kill but couldn't. You had the gun, you were supposed to, you know you were supposed to. I believe he's talking to himself, blaming himself for not doing what he was supposed to do, resulting in the death of his son. <laughs> It's not funny, man. No, I know it's not funny. I just, I got the image of a, a court reporter and the judge saying, can you read that back to me? You were supposed to, you had the knife, you had the gun, you were supposed to, you know you were supposed to. Please repeat the, the phrase. <laughs> All right. Well, Sorry, I just completely dismissed the argument, which is valid and good. And thank you for that, uh, Bilal. That uh, really helps out. Uh, I just, for some reason, went off on a my own brain Nah, that happens all the time that's fine but this is it i mean this morgan uh it it seems so obvious now but you and yeah. i are kind of dolts sometimes but this is it morgan is is blaming himself for everything that's gone wrong and he can't move past that moment and it's what's driving him nuts yeah all right next we have jamie in cardiff wales i'm curious what you guys think that eastman thought after he starved the guy in a cage to death and he re reanimated as a zombie I guess you could argue that he couldn't come to a firm conclusion that the world ended after seeing just one zombie, but if uh, but if a guy I thought was pure evil returned to life after being killed, I'd at least think something was up. <laughs> yeah, that's a understatement, I would say. If I kill a dude, and I think he's pure evil, and then he reanimates, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be like, I'm not just going to be like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> that guy must be the devil. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to worry about that a little more uh, a little more so uh, i'm going to move on to the next one here and we'll treat these sort of together jeff in st louis missouri writes i just realized something interesting while i was thinking about this week's episode consider the timeline eastman lays out for morgan he abducts Crichton dallas wilton before the apocalypse event starved him to death for uh, starved him to death after 47 days buries the body, then returns to Atlanta to finally discover the state of the world. I imagine his timeline somewhat matches Rick's at the beginning of the apocalypse. 
But the important thing to note is that he didn't actually discover that the world had ended until he returned to Atlanta. That would mean that Wilton did not, did not turn after he died. He was not infected, and neither was Eastman until his trip to Atlanta. For what it's worth, it probably doesn't mean much now, but it does prove that the CDC wasn't entirely right about the infection. It's possible that not everyone is infected. People in rural areas, including possibly some small communities, may actually be just fine. Just something to think about. Maybe he was so evil that he wasn't infected. Well, um... His evilness burned the infection out of his body. <laughs> okay. The point here is, though, that Creighton Dallas Wilton was, and uh, along with uh, Eastman were separated from anybody else in society in that mm -hmm. cabin um, during the sort of apocalypse event, as Jeff calls it. So yep. they had no other contact with human beings that we know of um, while they were there together. Creighton Dallas Wilson then dies and presumably does not come back as a zombie. Now, the email before, Jamie in Cardiff, Wales, assumed that he would come back as a zombie, Um but there's no reason to necessarily assume that is the case, right? So basically, that's my question. Did he come back? We don't know. No, we don't know. But the other thing that this brings up, which both of these, these uh, writers' email, email submitters' emails bring up, is that uh, we don't know at what point exactly everyone became infected. And do you have to have contact with another infected person to be infected or is there just something in the air that is ubiquitous and it permeates everywhere and just being alive on the planet means you breathe it in right we don't know so, that it all depends on whether it's a standard infection that we got from uh pigs eating bats or was it uh you know space spores <laughs> right that, that that came down and just completely blanketed the earth Exactly. That's what we don't know. So is it possible that Eastman was not infected until he went to Atlanta, encountered other people or zombies became infected? And now, of course, he has it, so he would come back. But is it possible that there are people out there that had no connection or no interaction with the rest of humanity during all this and it somehow are still not infected and therefore will not come back as a zombie when they die? an interesting thought actually it is an interesting thought i haven't hadn't really considered before all right so if this guy starved to death after 40 some odd days he's going to be in a very weakened uh state right when when like starving to death you become weaker and weaker and weaker and you eventually starve to death and the producers early on have said the time it takes after someone dies to when they come back is dependent on a lot of factors uh you know some of which was how healthy they were when they died, kind of thing. Right. So I'm thinking that if this guy starved to death and he was in a very weak state when he died, it would take him a long time to come back. Maybe the son of a bitch is a zombie buried in the grave. Well, and yes. can't get out. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility, which is pretty brutal, um, yeah. even for a zombie. Um, it could be. It could be. I think it's just more fascinating to think that since he was separated from society before everyone became a zombie... Um, he might not actually have the infection at all. And therefore, had Eastman not gone to the city, he might have not had it either. It's, right. just a, it's just a really interesting thought, which opens up the door, you know, as remote as it may be, that our characters on this show, Rick, anybody else, could encounter someone 
that um, is not infected. Now, by encountering them, it probably transmits the infection to them, so they'd never know. Right. Um, but I don't know. Maybe there's some some way around that or something. It's just an interesting idea that'll probably it never is. come up on the show. <laughs> yep, we're right? never going to get closure on this. No, probably not. Because they're not going to do a flashback to the flashback they already flashed back to. That'd be too many layers of flashback. Yeah, it'd be like Inception. A little too Inception-y, yeah. A little too Inception-y. All right, next we have Tove in Sweden. Did you notice that Morgan locked the door at the end and that he seemed to question himself whether to do it or not? I saw it as a direct reference to the cage he himself had been falsely locked up in. Uh, the fact that he did lock the door in the end is probably a sign that he is far away from having the mental state of Eastman. Yeah, I, I didn't really perceive him uh, thinking about locking the door or not. I mean, he did kind of hesitate there as he left that building, but um, I feel like he was more just sort of generally thinking about what he's doing here, holding a guy ho- hostage who's potentially extremely dangerous. Um, well, I, got, I got it. That exactly exactly the thought I had when he was hesitating there was that, really? oh, should he lock the door or not? Does he have the trust that Eastman have, has? And the answer is no, but I don't think that's a reflection on Morgan. I think it's a reflection on the son of a bitch that's supposed to be locked in there because he's just an evil bastard, well, a known evil bastard when uh, Morgan, when he was you know knocked out and brought in, was mostly just crazy. Yeah, but I mean, there is no way in a million years that leaving that door unlocked is a good idea. Eastman really only had himself and Tabitha at risk if Morgan, you know, came out in the night and killed him in his sleep. Right. There's a lot more people at risk in Alexandria. That's true. So I can't see any question in any, how anyone could question the, you know, whether it's a good idea to lock that door or not. But then this is Morgan and he is... He is trusting Morgan, non-killing Morgan right now. So maybe he's thinking differently. Uh, Adam in Doncaster, UK writes, regarding Rick shouting to open uh, open the gate, how can it be Rick when the last we saw of him was him in the RV being surrounded by walkers? He hadn't made it back to Alexandria after the wolves attacked. That's true. Yeah, but this this is a thing that a lot of people brought up. And most people are basically saying the show is spoiling itself here. They put Rick in a situation of great peril. They end an episode basically with it as a cliffhanger of what's Rick going to do. And then they, and then they, they uh, reveal that he's escaped or he's okay because we hear him yelling to open the gate. Um, And, and that takes away any suspense that he might actually be in danger of being killed in that RV by zombies. Right? Yeah. Which, yeah. which that, I can, that's okay. I can see that point. Um, but if you take the approach that it's about the journey and not the destination, <laughs> we don't know how he escapes. We don't know what happens to him in between. He opens the, the door and turns left. I mean, the escape from that RV is not hard. Okay. But I mean, why even do it then? Why even put him in that situation if they're just going to make it that simple to get away, right? Oh, it's it's going to be that simple. And I I don't think he was in a situation. I think the it wasn't a perilous situation. I Come think on. it was a a sad situation. No, I think it's a little bit of both and I it, it doesn't help too that Rick's mental state is really being tested here. He's he's remember he suddenly realized that 
everything he's done here has fallen apart and the plan basically didn't work. The zombies are coming to Alexandria anyways. He's not he's not thinking straight, which puts him in more danger, I think. Well, you think he's going to run into the arms of a zombie and give it a great big hug and a kiss? You think he's that crazy? I don't think he's that crazy, but I think he might not be thinking straight. Maybe he, yeah. uh, who knows what he's going to do. Maybe he's just not, he's not um, top-notch Rick right now. He's not yeah. thinking straight necessarily, and I think he might cause more trouble for himself. Now, I'm just saying I'll be a little disappointed if there was no... Uh, there's just nothing special about his escape from that scene. Because, like, why even do it then? Why put him in that scene and make us wait two weeks or whatever to find out what happens for nothing? So they got to do something with it, is all I'm saying. And yeah. that's what I mean. If they if they do something fun with it or interesting, then that'll be fine. We know he survives. I mean, you got to assume he's basically going to be okay. He gets to the gate, and then that's that. But it just better be interesting to see how he gets out of that situation. Unless that's not Rick's voice yelling at the at the gate, and I don't right. know a hundred percent what it was. <laughs> oh God, that's far <laughs> worse. <laughs> that is far worse. Well, it ain't Lori. I can tell you that. Maybe it's uh, Scott. Like maybe that's Michonne and them showing up. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's him yelling. Maybe it's. Uh, it didn't sound like Abraham. I mean, to be honest, it sounded like Rick. But maybe it's not Rick. That's a p- possibility too. I think it's Rick and the escape from the from the RV is as simple as opening the door, the driver's side door, taking the 14 steps to the building that's right outside and uh, either hiding that there or using it as an escape blocker. So he blocks the zombie so he can run away. My problem with that is it's dumb. And I don't want- It is dumb. Maybe there's a four-wheeler in the, uh, in in that building. That's dumb too. He he starts it up and- uh, Cranks the thumb accelerator and away he goes. Maybe he just tries. wheeling all the way back just, to Alexandria. Maybe he just tries the RV again and it starts this time. Like these are oh, all. Oh yeah, that'll work too. These are all dumb ways to get out of this situation, which they've played up as, as uh, dangerous and exciting. And I don't want it to be dumb. That's what I'm getting at. Oh, but they, yeah. I mean, we've all been in, in vehicles where that just wouldn't start and it wouldn't start and it wouldn't start and it wouldn't start. And you keep trying it because somebody's chasing you and it just won't start and there's nothing you can do. You're pounding on the gas and it's just it's just clicking over and nothing's happening it's too much blood on the steering wheel it's too much blood on the <laughs> steering wheel you can't get out because the doors are all bent bent in and then you bang your head in the steering wheel a couple of times you take a deep breath you let in the fear for five seconds and you go okay and then you turn the key and it starts and you drive away we've all been there it happened to me earlier this morning so you're yeah. right <laughs> yeah so i i think yeah he's either going to start the rv or he's going to run to that building and get on his four-wheeler and uh party all the way back to Alexandria. You have too much faith or not enough, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Four wheelers everywhere, my friend. Yeah. Full of gas, ready to go. Yeah. All right. All right. Next is uh, James in Pittsburgh, PA. Look at the flowers. From the sunlit field to the sunflowers at the farm, the hallway mural, and even the chrysanthemum plots uh, Eastman discussed the use of flowers as a subtle tr- in as subtle transitions in the characters was clever. I do not know if there is a botany expert on the crew, uh, but we have a floral focus ever since Cherokee Rose. It's a nice consistency in the art direction, purposeful or not. Yeah, we have a Mark Watney on staff, and they like to inject flowers into this episode every chance they get. 
That's uh, a Martian uh, reference. Yes, it is. The sorry, that's a the Martian reference. Don't forget the. Uh, but yeah, flowers seem to have played a part in this show for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the flowers, the uh, hallway mural that James is referring to, was a couple seasons ago when they go into a house and there was uh, flower flower paintings all over the wall, right? I think Michonne was in the house, maybe with uh, Carl. It was back a couple of years ago. Anyways, there are flowers throughout yeah. this episode, uh, throughout this this show, which is uh, really interesting. So it's one more thing we got to watch for. And every time flowers come up, you know it's important. Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer in Las Vegas writes, "I only have one thing to say after this episode, and it's this: How is The Walking Dead never nominated for Emmy awards? This episode alone should get supporting actor for Lenny James, guest actor for John Carroll Lynch, writing and directing nods. Not to mention the huge snub of Melissa McBride last year. It's a travesty. A travesty, I tell you. It sure is. And we've said that before, too. All they ever get is special effects awards, which don't want to diminish those in any way because, you know, they're important and really great awards for everybody involved in that uh, end of the show. But uh, the actors, they just never get their get their rewards. Yeah, I think it's all rigged. I mean, everybody on these uh, committees that uh, pick the nominations for the awards are like, yeah, that's just a zombie show. We can't. We can't nominate anybody on there. It's got to be some kind of drama or comedy or, you know, if it's William Shatner, maybe kind of thing. <laughs> if it's if it's the Shat, maybe. If, it, if it's Shatner, you know, he's won an Emmy. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and Robert Kirkman has always said it best. He has said, I'll take the highest rated TV show of all time over <laughs> Emmys right. any day. Yes. You know, and yeah. he's got a point there. <laughs> he does. All right, next we have Travis on the internet. Since Morgan's return last season, I've been calling him Jedi Morgan, but I should have been calling him Master Splinter instead. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic was created by Kevin Eastman, uh, where Master Splinter learned martial arts by watching a ninja master from his cage. Morgan learned martial arts by watching a man named Eastman from his cage. Lenny James was trained by a guy who played Donatello. Eastman even wore a shirt with a turtle on it during the episode. The only reason Morgan doesn't have four turtle sidekicks when he gets to Alexandria is because Enid got to them first. <laughs> Enid. Yeah, well, um, I think Travis has picked up on a not-so-subtle reference in this episode. I'm not a big Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles guy. Never nope. saw the last movie they made. Never seen any of the movies they've made didn't read the comic, didn't really play any video games. So um, I am aware of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I don't know much about them. So I had no idea about the name Eastman. And I noticed the turtle references in this episode, but I didn't put two and two together. So it's great though. Yeah. It's very cool that they did this. He's They've obviously gone Ninja Turtle over Jedi. They have gone Ninja Turtle. I uh, I was aware of the comic and I played the tabletop role playing game a couple of times, but I never watched the TV show or saw a movie or anything like that. So I'm not all that familiar, and I didn't know that uh, what's his name, Master Splinter, learned uh, from watching a Jedi Master from his cage. I didn't know that either. No, neither did I. Master so. Splinter's the rat, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. All right. I think so. Uh, but and they like pizza. Is that right? Yes, they really enjoyed pizza. I, uh, at least originally, I don't know if that's part of like the modern, oh, sure. the modern Ninja Turtle stuff, but. Well, who doesn't like pizza? 
Well, true, but you don't really have to say that anymore because everybody likes pizza. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Zach from Bulls Gap, Tennessee writes two things. Uh, first of all, along the same lines, he says, holy crap, did you see Eastman wearing a Save the Terrapins t-shirt and also his framed tortoise picture on the wall in his house? Lots of slow, lots of slow reptile coverage so far this season. Also, uh, how are so many people in the apocalypse able to obtain solar paneling and also know how to uh. utilize it? <laughs> Eastman had solar panels on his cabin. Alexandria has them, though I know they were already in place, but Woodbury also has them. Is it a case of those who have the foresight to utilize solar panels are also the same people who would probably survive the apocalypse, or just TV coincidence? I don't even know where I would be able to find solar paneling, let alone how to install it and maintain it. Well, uh, Zach, if you lived in Canada, you could just go to Canadian Tire. Mm-hmm. They have... Uh, solar paneling and connectors and the batteries and everything you need to get all, and, and as well as instructions. Don't be fooled by the name Canadian Tire. They're not a tire shop. They're more of like a home, big home hardware type shop. Yeah, you can, yeah, I mean, you can buy tires. You can, but you can buy you can, all kinds of, you can yeah. also buy soap dishes and like small appliances. And They uh, sell Lego for crying out loud. Lego and I've solar I've used panels. Canadian Tire money to buy Lego. <laughs> See now you're just now we got to explain Canadian Tire money. <laughs> oh, it's like coupons, Canadian Tire coupons, right? <laughs> uh, for anyone outside uh, Canada who doesn't know what Canadian Tire is, but yeah, up here you can buy solar panels in Home Depot probably. Yeah, um, and they're easy to install. Not only that, but like I can think of a couple of houses in the area that have some solar panels on the roof. Yeah. So if I really wanted to, I could. A, move into one of those houses where they're already installed, <laughs> or B, go and steal them. And probably, I think I'm smart enough to figure out how to connect solar panels to some sort of battery and use that power. Or maybe you'd be smart enough to go to, uh, what, are the, uh, what do they call those, book museums? No, libraries. libraries. Go to the library and uh, find a book on solar panel wiring. There could be that too, yeah. Um, I wish I could put solar panels on my roof, actually. I mean, number one, I wish I could afford it because it's not exactly cheap these days yet. Uh, But also, my roof doesn't face the right way, and there's a giant tree to the south, so it just just wouldn't be... uh, What you need is a wind wind turbine. A wind turbine. You can buy those, too. You put that on a pole uh, and uh, get that sucker spinning, charging up your batteries, use the batteries to run your TV, and you're all set. It's not a bad idea. I might do that. Uh, all right. Thank you, all right. Zach. All right. Next we have Minnesota Matt, longtime listener, first time writer. This is uh, an important note from a longer email. Now to continue beating a dead horse, Enid eats a turtle. Yes, a turtle. When we first see our shelled friend, it's walking along uh, near the road. Even at that point, it's easily identified as an eastern box turtle, a small, high-domed carapace and distinct coloration. It's nearly tw- uh, As a nearly 20-year keeper of a tortoise, I find it laugh- laughable that people take such offense at your guffaw, non-guffaw, or gaff, <laughs> <Yeah>. non-gaff. <laughs> Seriously, uh, there's way more imp- important things to yell at you guys about. Great. It's an important note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've included a nice primer on the difference between turtles and tortoises. Whichever way you call it, it uh, I was really sad to see her eating that poor little fella. Turtles are amazing ancient creatures that deserve more respect uh, than the short shift uh, shrift they get in this world, even in the zombie apocalypse world. So he sent us a link to uh, 
the Northern California aquariums on the difference between uh, turtles and terrapins and tortoises. So I can post that if you want when we put this episode up. Thank you, Minnesota Matt. Yeah. Um, the point being, though, well, two points. Number one, yes, we called it a turtle over and over again, got a lot of flack because people, like from a lot of people that said it was a tortoise, yet Minnesota Matt seems to think it actually was a turtle. <laughs> well, it might be an actual tortoise, but it's called an Eastern box turtle. And they've been, you know, things have been named weird like that before. Oh, that's right? true. That's true. So it, so, but what I'm saying is we weren't necessarily incorrect. Right. And the other thing is there's a lot more important things that people could yell at us about. It's uh, very important. Um, yeah, and, this is only small. <laughs> and sometimes they do, but I'm a little worried now. <laughs> yeah. So, and the link he sent was the difference between turtles, terrapins, and tortoises. What the hell's a terrapin? Well, I, well, and, and, and uh, Eastman's shirt said save the terrapins. I think terrapin, I, I shouldn't speculate here, but I'm, I, you know, if anyone, Minnesota Matt seems like an expert, so he can correct me, but I think terrapin and tortoises are synonymous. They're, they're two oh. words for the same thing. I think a terrapin is some kind of dog, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I don't really need to read this link to find out what the difference <laughs> is. <laughs> it's a, it's a dog of some kind, probably brown. <laughs> well, brown dogs are the best dogs. Yeah. Brown dogs are awesome dogs. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, that's, that's cool. I'll post this link if anyone is interested and I'm going to go read it later. When uh, me too. I, I saw it and I, I definitely want to read it later. All right. Uh, a few more emails here. The next one is, uh, well, I guess you're going to make me say this, but Darcy from Buttfuck Nowhere, Australia. You said you would read whatever they put. I know. I know. And I'm, I'm sticking to that. Darcy writes, I've just finished watching the recent episode, and I have to confess myself astounded. Not only does this episode portray the plethora of acting skill possessed by Lenny James, but it shows the stark contrast between Morgan at the start of the apocalypse and now. It's as if he went from humane to ferocious and mentally ill back to humane in the present. Uh, the way his character has transformed is, to me, a piece of genius on the writer's part. The fact that Morgan also learned uh, his now tranquil ways from the cheesemaker just puts the sauce on the sausage. It's it's an Australian thing. Is uh, I personally love the scene where Morgan viciously murdered the two boys in the forest. It really goes to show how much your sense of what is right can go down the shitter when just faced with repeated setbacks. Yeah. Um, and I think Darcy makes a makes a good point here he he's like overall morgan's storyline from beginning to where we are now is a fascinating one absolutely um but uh and i don't want to beat a dead horse as another listener said but the (laughs) the episode for me was just in the wrong place not that it was bad and not that it was wasn't worth telling it was just in the wrong place and but morgan's story definitely great story in fact one of the best character arcs over six years of a show that we have here, right? I would think so, yeah. In oh, my opinion, like yeah. for, of all the characters that have lasted from now, sorry, from the basically from the beginning, even though we've seen the least of Morgan, his character arc is one of the most fascinating. It is. Um, to be honest, it's better than Rick's. Um, I think, think. So? well, I, Rick has had a lot of ups and downs and swings in and out. Um, and it's not bad. 
But, uh, you know, Carol, I think, is a pretty good story arc from from the beginning. You know, she's changed a lot. Morgan, he's changed a lot. Rick was always kind of a guy who did what had to be done. He was always able to kill people when, you know, his himself or his family was threatened. Has he really changed that much? Well, I guess we'll uh, we'll find out the next time he's uh, he's faced with a little girl zombie, whether or not he shoots her. That's right. He seems to kill them all the time. So we'll be, and he's bound to come face to face with another one someday. Yeah. So we will see. All right. We've had a couple of listeners write in about this, but uh, two of which are John on the internet and Christopher from the internet. Uh, the other episode with the now and then. Uh, titles uh, was season five, episode one, and it was involving the termites being locked in the train car by the guy that kept raping the women. One of the flashbacks was when Garris said, you're either the cattle or the butcher. Right. So it was season five, the beginning of season five, when they did now and then. Um, That seems so clear in my mind now that I think about it, but I couldn't come up with that uh, a couple days ago on the podcast. So thank you, John and Christopher and everyone else who wrote in with that uh, reminder. Yeah, thanks. All right, finally, we've got uh, Jennifer in Orange, the city, not the fruit. It seems to me that Morgan's wolf in the basement is equivalent to Herschel's barn full of walkers, a hidden threat that if freed would kill everyone. There you go. Burn it down. <laughs> Burn it down. Light it on fire. Light it up. And uh, be done with it. So I think Jennifer in Orange sounds like a band title too. Jennifer in Orange. Yeah, that's a that's actually a great band title. I mean, is she... In an orange? Is she wearing orange? Is she in a town called Orange? See, and the name of the album could be The City, Not the Fruit. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, this is is brilliant stuff. Um, Jennifer, you should start a band. (laughs) Start a band. Quick, go register jenniferinorange.com because that's probably a domain that's available. And uh, now that I've said it, maybe it won't be. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, we this is not live on the internet, right? I'm going to go check right now. Okay, yeah, well, <laughs> like I said, as soon as I said it, some bonehead went and registered it. <laughs> uh, thanks. Orange.com. It's available. There you go. Right. Thank you to everyone for writing in. Um, it's always a great pleasure to read your emails. We did have a few calls this week, but um, uh, just due to scheduling and my insane busy travel schedule uh we weren't able to sort of get through them and get any on the air plus there was a couple of calls that came in with some weird sort of uh distortion and i'm going to look into that because i want to make sure that our send voicemail button is working okay on the website but please don't hesitate to go there and use it you can go to talkingdeadpodcast.com and click send voicemail to record a message for us uh and i do want to get as many recorded messages on the air as I can. After all, this is a podcast, <laughs> so you know, <laughs> audio is good. Um, but you can also, of course, send emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com, which we uh, read and respond to as much as possible. Even Jason went and read and organized the, some of the emails for this episode, which was great. Yeah, good fun. It was very good fun. Uh, find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. I really, really wish I owned The Talking Dead on Twitter, but somebody else has it. So if you happen to be listening, please give it to me. 
<laughs> I'll be forever grateful. <laughs> Much appreciated. Thank yeah, you. That's right. All right. We will be back on Monday next week to talk about the next episode of The Walking Dead. It's episode number five for season six. And I don't know what it's called, so we'll just have to wait and find out. If you know what it's called, though, record yourself saying it and send it in, because we like to have listeners uh, read the titles of the episodes for us, and we play as many of those as we can before the recap. Uh, One more thing before we go, please remember to use our Amazon link. Go to TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash Amazon and uh, click on the country of your choice before you do all of your Amazon shopping. A tiny cut of your purchase comes back to us and it all goes back into just putting on this podcast and paying for hosting and equipment and bandwidth and all those sorts of things. So we really appreciate everyone who does that. That's TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash Amazon. All right, everyone. We'll be back on Monday. Thank you so much. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.